And then, without further ado, I'm just going to pass uh, over to Sky. Um, now, guys, again, I think most uh, most important thing here, like anything, anytime we have someone uh, who's coming on to do an education, I think the best thing you can do is just try to ask yourself a question. What question do you kind of want received this week? If you have something in your own mind, that's fine. If you don't really have something, you're just here to kind of learn. I want to just throw this question out to you first. If you were to reflect back over the last seven days, and if you were to score yourself zero through 100, what percentage would you would you rate yourself? Now, there's nothing right, there's nothing wrong. This is just about awareness more than anything. So if you said 60%, 80%, potentially even 40%, what do you think is the missing piece of information when it comes down to like your health or your diet or your training that would just increase that by five or 10%? And if you don't know that information, Hopefully, you're going to learn a few things here today. And then there's a wee bit of a Q&A session at the end that hopefully Sky can kind of help lighten or share some thoughts and things more than anything. So that's a question just to kind of throw over to you guys. Now, I've got my pen and paper here. I've saw Sky do her work uh, on three different occasions. Uh, so I'm very excited about this one. So I'm going to shut up. Without further ado, Sky Elizabeth, over to you, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so... This is quite a, um, a, a, I guess like, a gen not a general, but it is quite general. I've covered quite a lot in this talk. Um, I know we bounced off a few things, Matt, about what you want me to talk about. So the kind of main aim of the talk is to get you guys to look at your kind of goals within fitness and nutrition from a health perspective. And I'm sure most of you do that anyway, but you'll get to see the way that I kind of work with my clients and the things that I do, how that whole health needs to be at the forefront of everything that we do. Um, also looking at kind of how different aspects of health affect our nutrition and movement and vice versa. And then a little bit on how the fitness industry, as good as it is, how it might negatively impact us and the things that it can impact and how we can kind of turn that around, I guess. Um, so before we move on, just a little bit about me, a little bit of background of me. So I am a coach. I have been a coach for about seven years now. Um, I started in the fitness industry just getting into it through a health perspective. I had a freak accident when I was 21, broke my hip. I wasn't taking care of myself at all. It was a bit of um, one of those things that just gives you a bit of a kick up the arse, like, right, you need to take care of yourself now. So I did every kind of fad diet under the sun. I did lots of exercise and training that I thought was going to be good for me. Then I went into kind of wanting to get um, lean. Then I went into bodybuilding. Then a whole host of other things came with disordered eating, body dysmorphia, that kind of thing. So I've kind of been through every journey that the people that I work with have been through. I only work now with uh, females. I also mentor other coaches and I am a certified nutritionist. So I studied for a year to become a nutritionist. And that is kind of my passion and where I coach mostly now. Um, so that's a little bit about me. I'm going to start by kind of getting us to look at like what is health. Um, I like to think of it, and we did this on the course that I did, like nutrition, different facets of health. Because when we talk about health, we normally straight go to just physical or kind of mental, and we don't take anything else into account. And sometimes that is why when we are striving for, for these fitness and, and uh, nutrition goals, 
different parts of our health can be negatively impacted when we're not really aware. So on Mac Nutrition, we broke down health into different facets. The actual definition of health is the absence of kind of injury or illness. But if we think about health, it's much more broad than that. And we want to kind of encourage other parts of this. So yes, we've got physical Yes, we've got psychological, but we've also got things like social, emotional, economic and intellectual. And I think it's really important that we keep these things in mind when we start out on whatever fitness or um, kind of health journey that we go on. So to break them down a little bit, um, we've also we've obviously got physical. So when we think about physical health, we want to be making sure that we are actually nourishing and fueling our bodies and moving them in a way that improves and maintains our health. Then we go on to kind of psychological. So obviously some goals that we have are going to require that we change some of our behaviors and we may become more disciplined, but it shouldn't cause us to become stressed or have obsessive tendencies. And that's sometimes what we can find. So these are the things we want to keep in mind when we're thinking about our health. Then we've got social. So it's really easy to throw everything at your goals when you want to achieve something but bearing in mind it shouldn't come at the cost of any of these facets so it shouldn't come at the cost of your social life obviously I'm not talking about excessive things like excessive drinking and going out all the time and losing sleep but if you are someone that likes to go out for brunch or out for dinner with friends or is quite a social person you don't want to lose that aspect of your life and also on the flip side of that when we think about social health we use social media a lot. So thinking how social media impacts how we then treat ourselves and how that impacts other areas of our health. Emotional health. This is a really important one. And this is what I work with with my clients quite a lot is the social and the emotional side. The process in which you use for whatever goal you have, it needs to be aligned with your values and it shouldn't damage your emotional health. And one of the main things that we see happen, and I've seen it a lot of the time, is some methods or processes can end up causing unhealthy relationships with food and exercise. So that's something that I work with females to kind of undo. Um, and it might be bad coaching. It might be things that you read online. It might be things that we're exposed to, um, misinformation, all that kind of thing. They, they, these things can really be damaging to our emotional health. Um, economic so try not to fall into this trap of thinking to be healthy, it needs to be expensive. It doesn't have to be. Eating well does not have to be expensive. Exercising or moving does not have to be expensive. And, you know, we don't need to take hundreds and hundreds of supplements, um, especially if it's something that you can't afford. So that's something that you want to bear in mind if you feel like it's out of your budget. And I'm not talking about coaching because that's a different kind of investment. But if there's someone spouting a certain kind of supplement or saying that, you know, you need to eat this you know grass-fed beef because it's the best like it's not actually necessary so please don't push yourself out of your limits just because you think you have to intellectual health so another thing that I work on with my clients is making sure that they feel empowered and they are informed in any decision that they make um if you don't feel like a decision is your own or you're not really sure why you're doing it or you're not really sure of the reasoning behind a certain method or process that you're going through in improving your health that's not really positive and it's probably not going to lead to long-term health. So whatever you're doing, make sure that you're informed, that you feel like you're informed if you're not asked questions, 
Um, I'm sure you do that anyway. I'm sure you are all well informed. But if there's something that you're not quite sure on, make sure you go and ask them questions, especially to Matt. Just go, you know what? I'm not really sure why we're doing this. I'm not sure why how this works. Um, and they're the kind of main things that I get people to think about because it's very easy to go, I want to go from here to here and I'll do anything possible to get there. And then when you get there, you don't realize that some parts of this little puzzle piece have gone missing or they're broken or they're damaged. And that's the kind of thing that we don't want. We want to be avoiding that. Just move that bar across there. Cool. So I'm going to start to focus on possibly the most important parts or the, the parts of our health that we impact the most. So I'm going to start with physical health. What kind of dictates and impacts our physical health? So obviously when we are going on any kind of fitness or, or you know, weight loss, weight gain, whatever it might be journey, the primary target is always kind of physical health. So looking at what dictates this. Firstly, it's going to be genetics. Um, we can't really ignore genetics. I'm going to touch on it because I feel like sometimes it can be quite a disempowering idea that, oh my God, I'm held back by my genetics. Um, obviously nutrition, the nutrients we consume, also the energy we consume, making sure that we are fueling our bodies correctly and we're getting enough of what we need. And then exercise. So moving our bodies regularly, it helps everything. So we're going to look at kind of what we can do to impact these in a positive way. So I love a meme, by the way. So I did throw a couple of memes in. Um, and just a note on genetics. All right. So I don't know if anybody's heard anything about the way your genes can kind of hold you back. Or maybe people think that something that runs in their family is going to hold them back. And obviously we can't ignore genetics. They can make us predisposed to certain outcomes, but it doesn't mean that that is what we are destined to be or destined to have. And what I mean by this is there is certain genes like the FDO gene, if anybody's heard of this. Now, this is a gene that makes people predisposed to obesity or obesity prone behaviors. But that doesn't mean that if you have this gene or your family has it, you are going to be obese. It just means that there is an increased risk that you might. So in this case, thinking about genetics, nature or nurture, nature, uh, nurture is far more powerful. If you think about genetics, genetics kind of loads the gun, but it's your environment and what you do around that that pulls the trigger. Um, so if you're somebody that's thinking, oh, it's my genetics, I'm kind of screwed, like, please don't feel that way. That's not the case. Um, when looking at like research, it's really cool actually, if you look at twin studies, one in particular that we looked at was what happened when you overfed people. So they took groups of twins and they overfed them. Did that pause? <laughs> it looks like it paused. Um, they overfed them by exactly the same amount of calories for like the same amount of time. But the outcome between twins of how much weight they gained or didn't gain was completely different and that's because they obviously have different genetics. Between the twins, it was quite similar, but the pairs of twins was different. It's because their genetics mean that they behave differently. If we control those behaviors, it probably would have been quite similar. So this is what I mean by genetics might influence our behaviors and we can't control our genetics, but we can start to think about and control our, our behavior and our environment to a certain extent. Then we look at nutrition. So when we think about nutrition and health, um, I think it's really important to banish this idea of unhealthy food. And um, no single food on its own is inherently unhealthy. Like a donut on its own is not bad. Pizza on its own is not bad. 
choices over time repeatedly on the whole can lead to negative health and can lead to a unhealthy diet but in isolation they're not bad and I think labeling foods like that can lead to you know negative emotional health negative social health you start getting anxious about going out for certain meals you don't want to eat certain foods and that can be quite a a spiral of, of a journey um macros and micros another thing that we absolutely love to stress over um, is getting the perfect macro split so when we talk about macros we're talking carbs fats protein your micronutrients all your vitamins your minerals um so i think it's important to understand there's no perfect amount there are kind of optimal ranges optimal numbers but often just having an adequate amount or in, including them in a range in your diet is enough for physical health not restricting just a balanced approach of thinking I'm going to include everything rather than I'm not going to eat carbs I'm not going to eat fat that can be problematic energy availability so I think a lot of us especially females are more concerned with restricting the amount of energy that we eat than we are making sure that we're eating enough um so we need to make sure that we are eating enough to support our body's functions and in terms of kind of calories when we look at what we need we always start with our BMR, so our basal metabolic rate. And this is the, the amount of energy that we need just to survive before anything else is accounted for. And often I get people come to me that are eating below this or trying to. And this is really negative because that means that you're not going to have enough energy to fuel your activity. But if you're doing activity, your body is then going to take this energy and start to take it away from vital functions in your body to fuel this activity. So that's when we can run into problems. So making sure we've got enough energy available. Oh, there's a typo. There's a typo. Please ignore it. It's not there. Um, so celebrating maintenance. I think people forget that the goal with nutrition and whether it's weight loss or weight gain, the goal at the end is to live. The goal is not to diet forever. And I recently posted on this. Dieting should be temporary or even weight gain should be temporary. It's only a small part on your journey. Um, and either way can improve your health. Like I personally have had to go through weight gain to improve my health. I've also gone through weight loss to improve my health. But in some cases, it can be detrimental to always be fixated on one or the other or always chasing one or the other. The goal is that's temporary. We need to then maintain. I don't think we celebrate that enough. And I sometimes feel like we sometimes look at maintaining our weight as like a really negative thing that we somehow failed when some people find it really hard to maintain their weight. So that's the end goal to get to a place where we're healthy and we stay there. Um, and then supplements. So people tend to think that for optimal health, we need to be throwing all these supplements at ourselves when we really, really don't. Most of what we need can be achieved through your diet alone, with the exception of vitamin D, which we just can't get in the adequate amounts through diet. So, you know, especially between October and April, when we don't get much sun because we get vitamin D from the sun, um, we probably need to supplement with it. And then fish oil, if you're not somebody that eats a lot of oily fish, you probably want to supplement with a fish oil. Um, and unless you're vegan and vegetarian, you're probably going to be fine just by having a varied diet. So I think that we love to overcomplicate nutrition or maybe focus on the wrong things when it comes to our health, when it is, it is quite simple. So exercise and health. The main thing that I want to drill here is that we should keep exercise and fat loss which is a lot of people's goals, we should keep them separate. They are not something that should be 
thought of together. We shouldn't be exercising to create fat loss or to get to a certain point. Um, there are so many other reasons to exercise outside of fat loss. And if you're only doing it for fat loss, it's not going to stick. It's not going to stick at all. And you're going to be pretty disheartened because you're not going to get much result from it. So the main reasons that we want to exercise is obviously reduce risk of disease, increase strength, mobility, endurance. We're basically making ourselves life proof. We're going to live longer by exercising. Improved cognitive function. So there was a cool study that um, I was reading the other day about how exercise improves memory, which is great for me because I've got such a bad memory. Um, and just general focus in tasks. Um, obviously metabolism and hormone regulation. So it helps how we metabolize stuff. It helps us be more efficient at metabolizing different energy sources. And to some extent, it can increase our metabolism, but not by much. And then obviously exercising, like we spoke about before, Matt, with Olympic lifting, it's, it's skills, it's life skills, it's learning new things, it's challenging your body in different ways, which can be really, really, really rewarding. And it's something that you can do literally forever. You don't want to aim for fat loss forever. You don't want that to be your goal. If you're exercising for fat loss, it's going to be quite short lived. When you get there, it's like, okay, now what? So just to, to kind of drill this point home, when we look at the energy that we expend each day, so our total energy expenditure, these are the things that make it up. So I spoke about this before, your BMR, that makes up a large chunk of the amount of energy that you need. So this is just what you need to survive, all right? If you laid in bed flat, about 70% of your daily energy needs are there. Then the next bit, is neat. So this is non-exercise activity. So walking, fidgeting, shopping, doing your uh, gardening, all that kind of thing. Anything that's not planned exercise, that contributes the next chunk. It's still not a lot, but it's it's a quite a big chunk. It's something that we can affect quite well. Then we've got um, the thermic effect of food. So obviously food costs energy to be digested. And then right at the top, is exercise, which is about 5%. So if you're using exercise as a means to burn more energy, it's, it's quite futile. It's, it's pretty pointless in that sense because it doesn't burn as much energy as we think and you're not going to be exercising every day. If you want to affect the amount of energy you need, get moving more, get walking more, you know, take the stairs more. All these little things add up more than going to the gym. If you go to the gym three times a week, let's say you do resistance training three times a week and you're using that for fat loss where do you go from there three hours a week then you go four hours a week then you go five six seven eight nine ten and then it becomes something that is totally unrealistic whereas walking and moving you can always be improving and you can always keep in your day-to-day -day. um so just a reminder that we want to keep those things separate exercise does not equal fat loss there are so many other benefits to it Cool. We're going to move on to psychological health in a second, but I'm just going to see. Um, I can't see the uh, chat box. There we go. No, I think we're all good here on the chat box side of things. Uh, awesome. I love that. And I know that um, I'd actually met Shannon Beer. I know that you guys, I don't know if you know each other, but I traveled with her when I was in Australia while she was sitting at her MNU. And uh, she put up a really good post the other day, just, and then you just basically articulated there. It's like, if 
X, if like resistance training didn't create fat loss, would you still do it? And it's such yeah, a powerful yeah. question to think about because exactly that, you've just highlighted the other benefits towards exercise. And I'm sure we can all relate to doing a workout and feeling better after it, 100%. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, she posted as well. She's a super nerd. If, in fact, don't even go follow me. Go follow her because she puts out some really cool stuff. But that was the, the post that I was referring to about um, improving memory and things like that. So moving on to kind of psychological health and in particular looking at when the fitness industry negatively impacts our psychological health in regards to kind of body image and emotional eating. And this is something that, especially the emotional eating part, something that I work with, with the ladies that I work with quite a lot. Um, and a lot of it is born from our industry, which is sad to say that I'm kind of having to clean up the mess of the industry that I'm in to say. Um, and it's not always from the industry, Sometimes it's from, you know, any kind of media outlet, social media, things that we're exposed to all the time, but a lot of the time it can come from the fitness industry. So just a little point about social media. Um, so you don't maybe know what I look like now. I do not look like this. Like I've eaten that girl twice over now. Um, but this is what I look like when I was bodybuilding and I posted pictures like this all the time and I got loads and loads and loads of praise, tons of praise. You look great. Oh my God, you're so healthy. Your goals. Uh, I wish I looked like that. Um, you can imagine the kind of things that I got and it just kind of perpetuated me doing it more um, and in actual reality. And I, I think this is a lot of what we see on, you know, fitness pages now. They are becoming a bit more, normal I'd say normal they they're not they kind of are showing more normal bodies and people now which is absolutely amazing but this is still a lot of what we see and the reality is when I looked like this I was underweight I was obsessed with how I looked and not in a good way not in a like oh my god I look amazing way in an oh my god do I still have abs oh my god like I had body dysmorphia I thought I looked way bigger than I did I used to pick my pick at nothing but pick my skin I had my body image was through the floor. I didn't have a period because I was restricting so much, eating so little, my body started to shut down. I had no social life whatsoever. It revolved around prepping my food and going to the gym. I didn't sleep very well. I had a really poor relationship with food and exercise. I actually ended up hating training because I did it so much. I ended up hating it and despising it. And I was generally not very fun to be around but these pictures would say otherwise. So I think when you are scrolling and you are seeing pages like this, please bear in mind that it's not all sunshine and roses. And what is actually, you know, hashtag health is probably not hashtag health at all. Um, so I'm gonna move on. I, I don't know if you've already had a talk with this. I'm, I have not talked about this for too long. Um, but just to touch on the body image side of things, because I think this is really heavily tied into well most facets of health but then kind of how we then react um our body image is so tightly linked to the way that we approach our nutrition and and our training and body image i think people think body image is about how your body looks when it's really not body image is about how you think feel perceive your body and behave towards your body that's what we're talking about when we talk about body image 
So just some things that are kind of red flags or signs of negative body image and some causes of negative body image. So obviously negative body image is general unhappiness with your body as a whole or specific parts. It is equating your self-worth to what you look like or what you weigh, which is something that I did a lot, especially in the fitness industry. If I wasn't lean, then I wasn't a good coach, which is utter bullshit. The same as it doesn't matter what you weigh, doesn't make you bad or good at your job. It doesn't make you a good or bad friend. It doesn't make you a good or bad parent. Um, obsessively scrutinizing your body in front of the mirror. That's negative body image. Repetitive negative thoughts about your body. If that interferes with your mood. Uh, like I said, body dysmorphia, perceiving your body to be larger than it really is. Anxiety over gaining weight or your body changing making disparaging comments about your body and frequent comparison of your shape and size to other people. Those are some signs that you have maybe negative body image. And we can't say for sure what causes it, but there are some common themes. So appearance, ideal internalization, this false, false idea that if you have a certain ideal body that you'll experience a happier life. And I think a lot of us feel like that. And I think if we have a healthier body, we can experience a happier life. But I think that's very different to having an ideal body. Um, and I know that because the body that I thought would make me happy made me miserable. So that's something that I always try and communicate to my clients. Body comparisons. We always make unfair comparisons, especially when we're comparing ourselves to others all of the time. We focus on what we like on others and then we focus on what we dislike on ourselves. And that just perpetuates negative body image. So fat talk this can be any talk to be honest it doesn't have to be just fat talk but saying things like I feel so fat I look disgusting it reinforces these appearance ideals that you might have in your head um and perfectionistic tendencies so you know no matter what changes you make to your body if you're being a bit of a perfectionist you'll always find a way to scrutinize or be unhappy with it so there's some of the things that can cause it and if you kind of can pick out one or two of those and go that's me, then you can start to work to unpick it and kind of get rid of these negative body image tendencies. So moving towards more positive body image, uh, things that I get my clients to do is focus on body appreciation. So what your body can do, um, you know, no matter what it looks like, no matter what you're feeling towards it, you still respect it, you still care for it and you still see value in it because that's what carries you through life. Let's be honest. Um, functionality appreciation so you know focusing on what your body can do rather than what it looks like and you know moving away from fixating on scales or measurements and more on like general improvements on how you're sleeping how you're moving is your mobility improved do you feel stronger have you got more endurance you know can you go for longer walks can you run around the park with your kids more and not feel so tired those kind of things rather than oh I can fit into a size 12 pair of jeans like your kids don't care, your friends don't care. So moving away from those kind of things, having some body image flexibility, you're not going to go from, I don't like my body to, oh my God, I love it. It's not going to happen. You're kind of going to be on a sliding scale. You're going to have to embrace that you're going to have some negative body image days. There are going to be certain things that are going to come up as threats. But instead of kind of acting on them, we just accept them. Instead of going, right, that's it, I'm dieting tomorrow, I'm slashing my calories, or I'm going to do two hours of cardio. We don't, we just accept it. And we kind of use this mindfulness, maybe even some meditation to allow these sorts of feelings to come and let them subside. The more we try and fight them, the more we feel like we need to act out on them. And that's when we can move into quite unhealthy patterns with food and exercise. Um, 
and exercising some compassion, speaking kindly to yourself, um, treating your body well, care for yourself, acknowledge that, you know, you have perceived flaws. Everybody has perceived flaws. No one walks around thinking they're perfect or amazing. I think those things are really important in trying to improve your body image. Um, so good. And um, I know we've had, for those of you who've been here a little bit longer, we've had Chloe Stevens coming in speaking about negative body image, positive body image. She'll be in at the end of this month and we're going to do another workshop on positive body image and explore that mm. more. So for those of you who have came across this information before, let it just sit and realize that, again, bring awareness to this, notice that you're doing the right things and give weight to your strengths. I feel as humans, we're always looking for what's wrong and we don't give ourselves enough credit to what's right. So again, uh, if this has stood out to you, uh, if there's any questions you want, throw it in the chat and we'll come back to them towards the end. We'll just try to keep on time. Um, and then as well, for those who are in the programme, we'll come back to this and explore body image when Chloe Stevens come in at the I think two weeks, the, the end of the month, I think it is that Thursday. Thank you. Yeah, Chloe's wicked. Um, so then moving into some things that can be tied to body image and it's not always tied to body image it can be tied to anything but something that I feel especially with the people that I work with we experience a lot is emotional eating so looking at creating some awareness over this and some potential coping mechanisms around emotional eating so just to kind of clarify what emotional eating is emotional eating is the tendency to maybe eat more in response to a set of cues or emotions. So when we say emotional eating, it tends to normally have negative connotations and people always find themselves like desperately trying to break this pattern of emotional eating, but actually sometimes emotional eating can be necessary and it's not always bad. You know, if you've had a bad day, sometimes you are gonna wanna have a bit of ice cream or your favorite cookie or a brownie, but the thing to do is to let that give you some short-term short comfort. What we tend to do is ruin that by then making ourselves feel guilty. So for most of us, emotionally, it only becomes a problem if we A, take it too far, we maybe lose control, we're not quite in the moment, we're not being mindful or intentful with it, and we eat an amount of food that maybe makes us feel uncomfortable or mentally makes us feel worse off than we did before we started emotional eating. And then this is what can become a bit of an emotional eating cycle. So if it sounds like you, it's probably worthwhile to address this. If you do like to just comfort your food, yourself with food every now and again, then let the food comfort you. That's the key thing. Sometimes you are going to emotionally eat and it's not always bad. Just don't let yourself then get into a cycle of, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And now I feel guilty and then it's a cycle. So that's something that I always say to my clients, let comfort food actually comfort you. So there are a couple of reasons why we emotionally eat, you know, psychological and physiologically. Physiologically, certain emotions like stress, anger, sadness, they increase the release of hormone cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone. Um, and this can be responsible for enhancing our appetite and kind of telling our brains that we are craving certain foods like sugary and fatty foods. So there is a physiological response to stress from the brain that makes us go, mm, yes, donut pizza. Um, psychologically, some emotions are just not very nice to sit with. They're not nice to experience. And what we try to do is escape them or avoid them or just temporarily numb them. Some people turn to food, some people turn to other things, um, but usually it's food. And 
they turn to it as like a coping mechanism because it brings us that immediate sense of pleasure. It masks those emotions for a second and it helps us to distract ourselves for a very brief point in time. And, you know, some people can cheer themselves up with only one slice of pizza or one donut or one chocolate bar or, you know, one tub of Ben and Jerry's. For other people, it might not be enough because we haven't fully suppressed that emotion. And that's when we then go into, I say binge. I don't like to use the word binge, but an overeating episode. So emotional eating and binge eating are very different. Um, So the first thing to do is when you're thinking about, do I emotionally eat? Do I emotionally overeat? Is distinguishing the difference between physical hunger and emotional hunger. So physical hunger is quite a natural thing. It's got a slow, gradual onset. You'll start to be like, I'm a bit peckish, could probably eat. And then it will gradually get a little bit stronger and stronger. Generally, when you're physically hungry, you'll want a variety of foods, not just kind of one thing specifically. Um, It tends to peak at usually in times, in time with your internal clock, your circadian rhythm. You know, if you usually eat breakfast at 7 a.m., you'll get hungry around 7 a.m. If you skip breakfast one day, you'll feel that hunger because your body's kind of in tune. And generally, when you're eating in line with physical hunger, you tend to eat to fullness. You don't tend to overeat. Emotional hunger on the other side, um, it comes on quite abruptly because it's usually triggered. Either something's made you sad, something's pissed you off, something's made you anxious, and then straight away you've got this need. And it's usually for one or more types of foods. It's never really a wide range. It's more specific than that. And it's like you then can't stop thinking about the biscuits that are in the cupboard and you just want to go and face on them. This is why it can lead to overeating because there's no sense of satisfaction. You're not eating for hunger, you're eating because it's emotional and you're not finding that that end point of this emotion. So you just keep going. Um, And it's normally paired with this sense of guilt or shame afterwards. And this is where we can sometimes get into a bit of a cycle. So some tips for overcoming emotional eating. Try and record your thoughts and feelings when you emotionally, I've put clients in there because I was talking about clients, um, but identify your triggers and look over a period of like one or two weeks. You may find that only certain emotions make you overeat, not all of them. You may find that certain activities trigger you, like maybe weighing yourself or measuring yourself or when you go on social media, that might trigger you. So finding your triggers can then help you to change that behavior or avoid that behavior and um, we like to use a thing called grounding I use it with my clients and it's just getting you to create some space between what's ever triggering you and then your reaction so asking yourself out loud in that urge that you have to go and emotionally eat am I hungry how am I actually feeling how will I feel if I eat this or what do I need right now and you might go am I hungry now how am I feeling I'm anxious what do I need I just need to go for a walk and it might just change the course of the action just giving yourself that space to actually think and when you look at the research in general cravings tend to subside after 30 minutes it's kind of like riding the wave if you let it kind of peak and peak and peak and peak it will eventually crash in general 30 minutes um Try and feed emotions alternatively. So once you've kind of identified which emotions cause you to maybe overeat, then you can try and identify different things to engage with. Like I've said, if you're asking yourself these questions, am I hungry? What am I feeling? You know, I'm feeling lonely. Okay. If I feel lonely, I will call a friend. Or 
if I feel stressed, I will go for a walk or I will go for a bath. Having these kind of if and then plans can help you when you come to get this urge to emotionally eat. Maybe look at what, what might be fueling these negative emotions. You know, are you actually getting enough sleep? Do you have other hobbies outside of the gym or work? Are you regularly moving? Are you not excessively hitting the wine? All of these things might be feeding into your emotions, which are then feeding into your emotionally eating. Sorry, I'm just going to see. Matt, did you put something in the chat? Yeah, it's just the physically seeing it out loud. Yeah, you can do or you can do it in your head. Um, mm. Whatever is gonna is gonna work for you. I mean, some people feel weird talking to themselves, but <laughs> for me, for me, I am uh, somebody that does talk to themselves quite a lot, and it just gets you. It it's about bringing the awareness to what you're doing and what you're feeling in that moment, and just saying to yeah. yourself, like, "What are you doing? Like, what is going on? What do you feel right now? You're a little bit stressed. Like, just calm down. Like, for me, it's it's breath work usually. I'm like, mm. just breathe, man. Like, okay, you're stressed. You're anxious." just breathe and then make a decision yeah and so yeah so okay once uh reflecting an exercise that i like to do with some some of you guys obviously here is um almost think of it like a game of cluedo like right it was matthew mccallum at four o'clock after work in the kitchen with the oreos guilty like <laughs> yeah. it's almost like a game of cluedo so again you're just kind of documenting where when why how etc etc and then again as as uh, she just said sky said there's often reoccurring situations circumstances so again it's not about not having negative emotions the big point that i feel that we're trying to get here is it's about the awareness of that and then knowing and having an action plan in place so you have behaviors which are better suited towards your goal outcome of health whatever that definition is yeah. for you so good powerful love that love that yeah 100 percent um and i think with recording it as well is you know and i'm going to talk about this point in a second like not seeing it as like something to berate yourself about it's about getting curious it's about going okay why am i doing this what is feeding this and this is what a lot of my clients do we we keep a log inside of our uh, food diary as well like okay this evening I did emotionally eat okay what happened that day I had a really shit day at work or I had an argument with my partner those kind of things it's like cool what else could we do next time and it's just coming up with a plan rather than you know using this negative self-talk of oh my god you're such a failure I can't believe you've done this again or you know what's wrong with you why are you doing this that's not going to help. That's going to kind of create this cycle. And if you are somebody that is emotionally eating quite often and you're trying to improve or reduce the amount, you know, backsliding is going to happen. It happens with everything. We're only human. Like you need to kind of know that that's going to happen. Use it as a time to learn and reflect. It doesn't have to mean that's it. You can't do it. Feelings of guilt and shame are associated with more emotionally eating. They're not, you know, we don't, ever really see people change from a place of shame not usually it doesn't really work and um, you need to kind of do it from a place of like compassion for yourself get get kind of reflective get curious um realizing that your emotionally it might be tied to your negative body image days and again it comes back to like being present in those days knowing that you're going to have them but not feeding into them trying to reframe them using the methods that we spoke about before when it comes to body image 
A key one that people tend to forget or not really think about is avoiding becoming too hungry. If you're hungry and emotional, your chances are even higher and you're going to have less of a chance to make better choices or different choices. And if you do overeat, it's probably going to be on those more processed, less nutrition foods. Um, so yeah, like it sounds really obvious, but the amount of times I've had clients go, oh my God, I just went and ate everything I could find on Tuesday evening. Okay, okay, what did your day look like? Well, I skipped breakfast and then I had an orange for lunch and I had three coffees. I'm like, okay, well, like, is there any wonder that you got home and then wanted to eat everything in sight, but then also had a bad day and was like, I'm just going to order seven pizzas and eat them all. Like you need to help yourself. Um, practicing mindfulness and meditation. Again, like we keep saying, bringing you back to the present, but learning how to be present without judgment. So not going, oh my God, you're emotionally eating again. You twat. That's not what we want. Want to go, okay, <laughs> um, I'm in this behavior again. And that's okay. It's happened. What do we do going forward? Um, and accepting your emotions, like as uncomfortable as that can be, if you don't accept them, and this is coming from someone that used to use like going out, partying all the time. I didn't really use food. It was very much a, I'm just going to get drunk. That's going to solve my problems. I didn't ever accept or deal with my emotions. And then I constantly seek to escape them. And that's the same with food. If you are constantly trying to numb, the problem's not really going to go away. And also we can't just feel the bad, uh, sorry, feel the good emotions without feeling the bad. We need to feel them all. So mindfulness, meditation, if you can. I personally don't meditate in the traditional sense of sitting in a room with incense burning. I have ADHD. My brain doesn't really allow me to meditate that way. But I do practice mindfulness and I do practice, you know, being in the present, asking myself what I'm feeling doing a bit of slow breathing, journaling, going out for walks is kind of my mindfulness, whatever works for you to bring you into the present and go, you know, what's been going on for me this week? What's been going on for me today? Um, is there anything I can do to make myself feel better? And it might be that you're going to go home and have a really nice meal that you wouldn't normally eat. It doesn't mean you have to overeat. I think when your intent to do something is different and it's positive, you have much more control. Um, so, yeah. Those are some of the, the tips for emotionally eating. That is pretty much it. I know it's a bit of everything in that talk, but we'll move on to the questions. Uh, yeah, brilliant. You just take yourself off. Share, team, uh, I mean, again, so good, so good. Now is the time. Uh, just throw your questions in the chat box or even just say ask, and we'll just bring you off of mute. I have two or three here that I want to... Uh, throw forward but again open up the question box now if anyone wants Jennifer Anna Martin Rebecca Andy and I know you're at a walk at the moment my man but uh, <laughs> there's the so um I'll let you guys think on that one there was one here um which was just asked well there's two that I want to kind of just throw forward um and <laughs> this is just for some context more than anything and it's just been brought there saying about why do certain supplements sell? Why do we think fat burners are the secret? Why do we think this diet works? Like when we look at sort of, again, the role of that, like, is it a placebo effect? I think that's kind of where the goal is. Why do we think fat burners work? And then why do we actually lose weight with that as well? I think 
it, it is that we are always kind of looking for an easier route or um, a bit of a quick fix, I guess. And that's why, you know, lots of diets can work short term, but they don't address behavior change. They don't address what we're doing outside of that. And that's why sometimes we kind of yo-yo and go back. You know, maybe they accidentally, because there's like, there's a universal rule, right? We have to be in an energy deficit to lose fat. And there are some principles out there that maybe accidentally get you to do this, but you don't know why and you don't know how. And I think that's why some of them work. Things like keto, a keto diet, right? Keto is not magical, but if it helps you to stay in an energy deficit, then it works. But some people don't know that they are striving for that. So maybe they eat a higher fat diet. So a ketogenic diet is a high fat diet, right? It's really low carb. Some people do really well on that. They get really full. They feel satisfied all the time. So they generally then eat less and then lose weight. And they're like, oh, it's magic. It's like, no, it just helped you get into a deficit. You know, Slim and Weld and Weight Watchers, they work for some people up until a point because they've given them a bit of a system that accidentally puts them in an energy deficit, but it doesn't teach them anything else. And then they stop and they're like, huh? Mm. Um, and I think as well, especially when you look at the research, people that pay for things like supplements, these fat burners, or change something really like they go from kind of one extreme to the other, tend to then change their other behaviors without realizing because of that they become more health seeking and that tends to be what we're seeing is like the effect of all these other these other behaviors it's like oh my god i got this fat burner right it's raspberry ketone and i've been taking it every day after my spin class and i've been eating kale salads it's like okay kale salad spin class when you were eating processed foods and not exercising i don't think it's the ketone so i think that's why we sometimes see this um but, you know, mainly something that sounds too good to be true is generally too good to be true. Yeah, so good. And uh, the second question, just to, to wrap up on that one for myself or for someone who asked this, how do, how do you go about in terms of a phased approach to certain, we're going to say trigger foods? Um, if there is, like, how do you sort of bring awareness to introducing chocolate back into your diet how do you again you said like food diaries and food journals and stuff like that like I'm personally really interested that was just one of the questions which we had yeah yeah that's a great question so I think the first thing is obviously identifying what your trigger food is and potentially why it is a trigger food where it comes from I think a lot of the time it comes from a lack of education around what happens when we eat certain foods it tends to be my clients come and they're like, I don't want to eat carbs because I'm going to get fat. And I'm like, why do you think that? Let's look at actually what happens. And then it's just a bit of a, yeah. And then, so identifying why it's a trigger food. Um, and then it's just kind of getting them to eat that in a safe environment. So what that means is when they're not hungry. So it's like, okay, after dinner today, Go and, go and buy a small chocolate bar and eat it mindfully, sit with it, notice how it tastes, notice like how it feels in your mouth, how it smells, you know, you're doing it with intent, you've only got that one chocolate bar, it's not going to be out of control, and then you're just building up this trust of like, the world is not going to end if you eat this chocolate bar, you're not going to wake up 10 stone heavier, or you're not going to end up bloated, or you know, sugar's not the devil, it's just kind of getting you to trust yourself that 
nothing really is going to happen. And it is just that repeated exposure, but it is about that doing it in that safe environment because, you know, if you do it when you're hungry, you probably will overeat it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So good. Love that. Uh, We have one here. Uh, How do you help yourself not linking your weight to worth and identity? That's a really good question. So I think it is just reminding yourself that, you know, what you bring to people's lives and what you bring to whatever you do is nothing to do with how you look. Like your friends don't care if you gain or lose 10 pounds. Like it doesn't change your friendship with them. You know, whatever you do for a job, and like it's harder in the fitness industry because we do feel like people use our bodies as business cards. But it's re- remembering that it's what's in here. It's what's in your brain. It's your values that you live through. It's how you make other people feel does not come from what you look like. And bodies are always going to change. Bodies are supposed to change. Like, you know, someday I'm going to have children and my body will be different. That does not mean that I am a different person. Mm-hmm. I've just been through something. And I think understanding that your lifestyle will change and your body will change with your lifestyle. And that's okay. It doesn't change who you are as a person. Like, what do you stand for? What are your core values? They're probably nothing to do with how you look. Yeah. Incredible. It's a journey. It's not something that just happens like that. I don't, definitely not. And you're always going to have days with it. But I think if you know who you are in here and, and what you bring aside from what you look like, then you can go into whatever you want to do with your body, which is up to you with a little bit more compassion. Mm. It comes back to those six facets, doesn't it? Again, and even again, if you want to just say like, if you, a simple thing we obviously do is like a red, amber, green. If you feel your physical health, if you come in one week and you lose 10 pounds and you feel dissatisfied, you look physically, I'm doing well, but emotionally, socially, I've not spoke to anyone in a week. Like I really need to come back to those six and just balance things out. And I know that the traffic light system is something which we've done uh, in the past, which seems to work quite well. Again, if you have trigger foods, which you feel are red, then let's start introducing some green, dip into some amber foods, which you can manage and have one red food more than anything. Um, Yeah. Any other questions, guys? Because that's such a powerful note to, to end on uh, more than anything. Again, last last time, guys, uh, before we log off and let's guide to our evening because we're just on the hour there. We nailed it there, buddy. No worries. <laughs> um, nope. Team. Anna, awesome. Yeah. Team, You're first welcome. and foremost, exactly that. Just say thank you in the chat for Sky for taking her time off. We're going to review this. I'm sure I'll be contacting with you guys soon. Uh, may even ask Sky to, to come back if uh, if she'll have us. Uh, yeah, see some nodding there. I think uh, we all Yeah, that was class. Uh, Martin says, thank you so much. Rebecca, awesome. Team, thank you very much. Sky, thank you very much. You're and so welcome. Guys, later. Sky, thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me. Bye.